On this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, we're going to dig into our Discover the Word archives and go back to a time almost 10 years ago now when we had our friend, longtime professor and pastor Sid Buzzle at the table with us, leading a study in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews. And in this study, Sid took us to a familiar part of the letter, one that we've quoted or heard quoted many times, Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says that, The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, when we hear this verse, we most often think it's referring to the Bible, right? We hear Word of God, and we almost always think Bible, the Bible, and the Word of God have kind of become interchangeable synonyms. But is this verse... Hebrews 4.12, necessarily about the Bible. And if it's not, why does that matter? The problem with teaching that the Bible says something it doesn't say is a twofold problem. First of all, we're teaching that the Bible is saying something it doesn't say. Not a good idea. (laughs) Not Not a a good good idea. But secondly, by default, when we are teaching that the Bible is saying something it doesn't say, we are not teaching that the Bible says something it does say. Mm -hmm. And Hebrews 4.12 says something in this context, in this flow, that is absolutely essential. And so that's what this conversation with Sid Buzzle explored. What is Hebrews 4.12 about? Pull a chair up and be part of this classic Bible study with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Sid Buzzle. Here on Discover the Word. Yeah, great to have you here for what I think was and is going to be a great Bible study together on Discover the Word. We're going to discover in the New Testament letter to the Hebrews some things that I'm convinced will be faith building and may even present you with a new perspective on a passage that is quite familiar but maybe doesn't mean quite what we thought it meant. And uh, so we'll get to that part of the conversation about 25 or so minutes in. But in the first part of the conversation leading up to that, Sid is just going to help us get a big picture overview of what Hebrews is about and who it was written to and why. As we've discovered so many times, looking at these issues of context are crucial in understanding and applying the scriptures. And so, as I said, Dr. Sid Buzzle was at the table with regular group members, Mark DeHaan and Elisa Morgan. Uh, Sid's retired now, but over the course of his career was a professor at a number of universities and seminaries and was, in fact, actually the academic dean of our Our Daily Bread University. And in addition, Sid has also pastored a number of churches, one of which Elisa and her husband, Evan, were part of years ago. And that connection is where they started this classic study of Hebrews called Jesus is the Word. Sid and I go back a long ways. I know you do. Um, long time ago when I was first married, he was yeah. a pastor of the church where Evan and I attended. And, and I think we've told the story about our little girl pulling the fire alarm <laughs> the Sunday Sid was candidating to become our senior pastor. So he got oh, baptized <laughs> by fire, if you will. Yes. <laughs> but um, he's been with us before and Discover the Word and has a, a brilliant approach to Scripture that's also every day. I'm just so glad to have our friend back. Well, it's really good to be here. Mm. And you're going to be walking us through a neat passage. Well, to get into the passage in Hebrews 4, It fits, obviously, into the context of Hebrews. And uh, 
I remember a, a parishioner, a friend of mine, came and talked to me, and his uh, son was dabbling with other religions. He was fed up with the Christian life and some of the issues that he was dealing with. And my friend was asking me, how do I convince my kid? It was Buddhism that he was considering. Mm -hmm. and, and he wanted some books that would convince his son that Buddhism wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And I suggested that he read Hebrews, that he get into Hebrews, because the writer of Hebrews had a similar problem in that the people he was writing to had become Christians and were in danger of going back to the religion they had left. But the writer of Hebrews had a particular problem to deal with because the religion these people had left was also given by God. Ah. See, now, when Paul, writing to the Galatians, who the Galatian Christians, some of them were uh, in danger of abandoning the faith. And Paul could say to them, if you leave Christianity, you're going back to paganism. Mm -hmm. But the writer of Hebrews couldn't no, and, and I've often heard mm -hmm. say that, that really it was not a change of religion as such, was it? Right. But for them, it was, the, and I think as you read the book, some of them were missing the ritual. They were missing the hands-on, uh, I know I'm a good Jew because I'm doing these things. Where uh, Christianity is more a life of a relationship. It wasn't so much about keeping the laws. But the problem the writer of Hebrews was dealing with was he had to promote Christianity without in any way trashing Judaism. So the book of Hebrews is a book that's written to show how glorious, how wonderful, how fantastic Christianity is. And, and so I was counseling this man. I said, don't spend your time downplaying these other religions. What people are looking for, whether it's another religion or a hedonism or whatever, they're looking for fulfillment. They're looking for safety. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for... Uh, looking for more. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a friend who used to say, you can't buy enough junk to fill an empty life. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the question, and this is frankly a conversation that I had with this man and then later with his son, is um, to him, growing up, Christianity had been so misrepresented that it was just another set of rules and regulations and what you can't do. Mm -hmm. And perhaps thought hadn't occurred to me before, but if Christianity is misrepresented, it doesn't provide that fulfillment. As you read the book of Hebrews, one by one in the early chapters, the writer goes from angels to Moses to mm -hmm. Aaron to Joshua and says, okay, these were good things. God gave us these things, but look how Jesus is superior it's better. Mm -hmm. to every other thing you were looking to to find this fulfillment, this satisfaction. Yeah. And, and he takes the good that they were, right? Oh, yeah. And, and brings it forward into something right. mm -hmm. bigger and truer. And yeah. What a terrific apologetic. Instead of saying, well, that, here's what's wrong with Throw everything else. Out, right? yeah. mm -hmm. and, and getting people defensive. is saying, well, yeah, okay, but let me show you how Jesus actually supplies and provides what you're looking for in this way of life that yeah. can't possibly supply it. As or can't we, supply it as well. Yeah. Right. As we dive into this, Sid, I think you want to focus us into a specific passage here yeah. in the book. Do you want to take us there now? Yeah. Uh, again, and this makes more sense when you say, here's the writer of Hebrews saying, all right, I've got to convince these people to mm -hmm. not go back to Judaism, even though Judaism had come from God. 
So the first thing he did, opening the book, is he affirmed Judaism. Mm -hmm. He said, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers. Where are you now, Sid? Oh, uh, Hebrews 1. Sorry okay, about that. all right. The first couple of verses. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Okay, mm -hmm. validating Judaism. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay. Okay. And, and similar to the way John opened his gospel, in the beginning was the Logos. The word. Know, and mm -hmm. so, yeah, the mm -hmm. word. Mm -hmm. And so, in a sense, Jesus is both the message and the messenger. Right. Okay. Yeah, God spoke, but he spoke again. Mm -hmm. When I teach this to the students, I tell them, okay, if I told you that the final exam was going to be on Wednesday at 8 o'clock, so you write that down, you come in at Wednesday. And then I, I came back later and said, I'm sorry, the exam's going to be on Monday at 8 o'clock. Okay, so I spoke, and that was valid, but then I spoke again, and you mm -hmm. better listen to the second <laughs> message. Okay, so that's kind of a humble way of saying that, mm -hmm. that God spoke to us through his son. And then he says, his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So he's setting this up and showing us who this message slash messenger is. In, in like ultimate terms though, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to believe you could describe something greater than when you talk about the creator. Right, right. So he's fixing early on, right away, the whole theme of the book is about Jesus, because to these folks, they had a religion that had come from God, but they have to focus in on this person, this person, Jesus Christ. He's so unapologetic. He doesn't apologize for the fact that he's going to focus on Jesus. And, and I love that. It's yeah. so winsome is maybe a better way to say it. It's right. so winsome. It's so attractive. Yeah. And again, I'm going back to my felt need of how do I share my faith with people of, of different faiths? And instead of being defensive, to come forward with this is who I know. This right. is what I know God has given. And this right. is what my life is like because of him. And if in our witnessing to people, if we spend so much of our time focusing on how inadequate their ideas are, instead of focusing on how fantastic Jesus is and what Christianity is and how it works and what it's based on, yeah. uh, I, I think we waste our time denigrating other I, things. I think you're right. I think sometimes we can be so focused on moving from sin to Jesus, we forget we can move from less to more. Right. And from good to better. To better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and better to, to best. Yes. The enemy of the best is not the worst, but the good enough. Yeah. And there's a way uh, in which it's good psychology, you know, that we're not putting people off by denigrating them. Right. We're winning them and attracting them towards right. what they want, which is yeah. the best, yeah. which is what Jesus has to offer. And this changes the whole way we read the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. If we begin with saying, what's this writer trying to do? He's trying to convince these people that there is no other possible way to live life that even compares with living life yeah. in a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, let me just ask, do you think these people that he was writing to, were they having second thoughts about Jesus? Had they lost their confidence in him? Perhaps, but in the time, you know, as a Jew, you had a community. Um, but when you go to the early chapters of Acts, we find out that the Jewish community rejected these people. 
So not only was Christianity being opposed by the Roman Empire, but now members of their own family, members of their own community uh, were rejecting them. And it would just be a lot easier to go back. Mm. And and as you read the book where he keeps the warnings over and over again, Mm -hmm. do not abandon this, do not leave this, weigh carefully, uh, focus on Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our profession. So it's sprinkled throughout the book are these things. And then chapter 12, he promotes this aggressive pursuit, like running the race of life. So he's saying, you've got to live this. Yeah, keep looking forward because you've you've, you've inherited something much better than what you had. Yeah, and engage it, live it. So whether you are a person who's come through Judaism to faith in Christ, or or whether you are a person considering faith in Christ, uh, the book of Hebrews is, is bringing forward a representation of Jesus who is better than our hopes and dreams. He's the best. He's the culmination. And the author is attracting followers to embrace the opportunity of the relationship they can have in Christ. All right, helpful first part of this conversation, explaining the big idea of this letter to the Hebrews. Important to know who it was written to and why, if we're going to understand the specific section that we're going to focus on later on in the episode. As I said at the beginning, eventually we're going to talk about Hebrews 4.12 and how it says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. But knowing the context that statement is in and understanding what Hebrews is about is an important first step. Now, as we take the next step in the process of understanding this letter to the Hebrews, Sid starts off this part of the conversation by making a really intriguing statement. One of the reasons often we find people struggle with being Christian is that they don't really live the Christian life. Now, now what do you mean by that? Well, uh, I refer to them as Columbus Christians. You know, Columbus discovered a new continent, but all he ever saw was the coastline. He never saw Yellowstone. I never saw the Grand Canyon. He never saw the beauties. He didn't understand what he had discovered because he never got into it. Mm. Went back home and said, you won't believe this land I discovered. We say, man, you don't have a clue. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Hebrews 4 is where we're headed. And the verse that says that the word of God is living and active. But we're first taking time to get an overall understanding of what the book of Hebrews is about. Because uh, as we've said for years, paying attention to the context is a must when studying the Bible. And that'll be evident again with this study we're doing. So uh, let's pick up the conversation Mart and Elisa and Sid were having as they talk about who this letter to the Hebrews was written to and how knowing that can help us avoid being Columbus Christians. Where were these people living? The people that the Hebrews are? this letter. Yeah, well, uh, I think this is probably written, it's a general epistle, uh, written pretty much over the empire to Jews. In other words, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, what they had in common is that they lived in Philippi. Mm -hmm. Uh, The general epistles, Hebrews and, uh, you know, Peter and John, were writing to Christians wherever they were. So what these people had in common is that they had come to Christ out of Judaism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it included all the ritual. Mm-hmm. And I think probably what some of these people missed was that ritual. Christianity isn't about rituals. It's not about so much rules and regulations. It's about a relationship. And you can imagine for these people who had come out of uh, a religion that was about ritual. It's a big transition. And they took all that away. Yeah. 
and unfortunately, they hadn't replaced it with anything. Just like many Christians today live on the East Coast of Christianity, you know. And what this writer was doing is saying, you have to understand the fullness of what Christ is offering you. And if you don't live in the fullness of what it means to be a Christian, it doesn't work for you. Mm -hmm. And as important as salvation is, and I would never in any way denigrate Jesus' role as our Savior, the major portion of this book is about Jesus as our high priest. It's not just that we are saved from sin and we hang on till we get to heaven. Mm -hmm. Someone said it's like life insurance. It's a great deal, but you have to die to collect. Mm -hmm. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this is an everyday relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you read Hebrews 4, 12 through 16, is, I believe, the heart, the apex, the climax of the book of Hebrews, really. Okay. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Okay, why did you choose that text? Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about people in transition. Yeah. They're moving out of the ritual. Right. Well, he said Jesus is superior to angels. So when he said God spoke again in his son, first thing he said, his revelation is superior even to the revelation given through angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. He's superior even to Aaron, the high priest. And I think the reason he focuses on the priesthood of Jesus here, and again, no way denigrating that we are saved by Jesus Christ, is the daily processing of our life. Sort of like when you buy a car. I mean, I don't want to be flippant about salvation, but you talk to the salesman once. But as long as you own that car, you're in contact with the service department. Okay, so in a sense, he's saying, okay, Jesus is the salesman. Jesus is the savior. But once you are saved, once you come into the life of the Christian, You're dealing with Jesus, not so much as the Savior, as Jesus, the high priest. You know, if somebody says, I don't get that. I get the salesman. I get the the service department, you know. Okay. But I don't get the significance of Jesus as our high priest. Okay. I mean, what, well, what, we really what does that mean? didn't finish reading the oh. section that you, you wanted us to. And oh, I think I'm that sorry. would help Did us. I interrupt would that you? Help? No, I just oh. stopped. Right. So, you know, and, and the first couple of verses, verses 12 and 13 are the ones that I read and they're scary. I mean, a little I bit. Okay. And then if we go on All right. and read, I think you asked us to read 14, 14 on through 16. 16. Yeah. You want to read those, Mart? Why don't you read again yours the and then thing. I will, Okay. Because you're saying that this is all fitting together, right? Yeah, I think that's what we're learning here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And then in verse 14. Okay, I see, I see now the yeah. unnerving part of that. Yeah. Okay, uh, we're, we're exposed. Yeah, right. scary. Okay. All right, so then verse 14 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, and yet he did not sin. 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Right. Explain that just a little bit more. The high priest functioned how? Well, first he says he knows us intimately. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. In the role of the high priest. Right. What was that role in, in Judaism, the role of the high priest? Well, the high priest uh, says later that he gave comfort, that he made sacrifices. He represented the people to God. He okay, so the he, stood, of he stood in their behalf. Right. In the people's behalf before God. Right. He made sacrifices for them yeah. to bring them to God. Okay. And, and in chapter 3, verse 1, the writer said to the Hebrews, consider Consider, mm-hmm. think about, dwell on, meditate on Jesus, the apostle and high priest. So he brings those two things. The apostle spoke to the people on behalf of God. All right. And the high priest spoke to God on behalf of the people. Okay. Okay. And that's the way it always had been done. And so now the writer of Hebrews is bringing together, now that Jesus is stepping into the role of the high right. priest in a different format. For us. Jesus fulfills both offices. Ah. He came to reveal God to us like God has never been real before. He is the exact representation of his nature. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the ultimate messenger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this one who came from God, this one who is God himself, is the one, and, and the, again, Hebrews says, when he had made purification of sins, verse 3, chapter 1, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And the imagery there. Hmm. is that your high priest, he's not even in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle made with human hands. He's in the actual place that the tabernacle that Moses made represents. He's in the presence of he's God. He's in the very mm-hmm. presence and why, of why God. Is, and why is that significant that he's in the presence of God at his... That it's almost like when the accuser comes, and, and I'm mixing Romans 8 with Hebrews here, but when the accuser comes and says, did you see what Mark did? Or as we read this passage, did you hear what Mark thought? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Your high priest is saying, wait a minute, hold it. Mm-hmm. He's one of mine. Mm. He belongs to me. Mm-hmm. I understand. See, he has been tested with everything as we are. So he can say, I've been there. I understand that. I, I, I lived that out. Okay, let me speak on behalf of you Mark. Know, it's interesting because I, I sense the, the emotional, the affection, the need but what gets a little confusing is he plays so many different roles, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's the apostle of our faith. Now you're saying he's the high priest. Yeah. He's the creator. He's also the sacrifice. Jesus is like yeah. the ultimate of everything. You know, whatever role we could need, it's yeah. as if he steps into yeah. it and, and pr- supplies it in a better format. And I'm thinking back to what you were saying as we started this discussion today, thinking about, you know, people who live as Columbus Christians, you know, who don't ever get into the life of Christ and, and standing on the outside versus getting into the faith. Right. These Hebrews 4, 12 to 16, they inform us about yeah. moving beyond the peripheral into the, the fullness, relationship. The fullness of who he is, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, interestingly, Hebrews 4.12 follows Hebrews 4.11. Okay, okay. <laughs> and, I wonder how that happens. Yeah, <laughs> clever how the Bible does that. Mm-hmm. What the writer has been doing, beginning in chapter 3, is encouraging the readers to enter the rest of God, the rest, R-E-S-T, Uh, And and verse 11 is, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall 
by following uh, Israel's example of disobedience. And what he's saying is that the people of Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because they didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. And, and when, when he had brought them to the w- threshold of the, the promised right, land. Yeah, Kadesh Barnea, they were they afraid. the 12 spies in, they were afraid to go in the land, so they turned back because they couldn't believe that God could take them into that land where they could settle down and build their homes and build their lives. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Hebrew Christians, don't follow that example mm. by not grabbing hold of what it actually means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. It's not about a set of rules and regulations. It's about a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's a relationship with Jesus, who is God, who is the messenger God sent to proclaim this life, and who now processes this life mm-hmm. as the high priest. Himself. And that's, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's Himself. like riding around with a factory rep in the back seat of your car saying, if anything goes wrong with this car, I've got somebody here who can fix it for me. I've got your back. And he's saying, when your life gets unscrewed, <laughs> Jesus Christ is the guy who is there to help you put it back together. And if you don't take advantage of that, Christianity doesn't work. If it's not a relationship with the living Christ, it won't work. Yeah, in that segment of this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, Sid Buzzle led Marty Hahn and Lisa Morgan in observing how so much of Hebrews is talking about Jesus and how Jesus is our high priest, our ultimate representative, and that it's really all about our relationship with him. Well, in just a moment, with all that as background now, I think you may come to a new understanding of a verse here in Hebrews 4 that really was a key for the Hebrews in their situation, and it's tremendously important for us. It's that sentence that you likely have heard recited, and it's very possible that you've committed to memory. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I think most often we quote that verse as being about the Bible, the word of God. But is it about the Bible? And if it's not, what or who is it about? Well, Sid Buzzell will tell us the story of how he came to understand what this important passage in Hebrews is saying about the word of God after a quick timeout for a message about another resource from Our Daily Bread Ministries. Now, as we study Hebrews together in this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, I want to take a moment to encourage you to take advantage of some other Our Daily Bread Ministries Bible study resources on the book of Hebrews from our Discovery Series at discoveryseries.org. From this site, simply search for Hebrews, type Hebrews into the search bar, and you'll immediately have access to five unique studies and essays on this fascinating book, including one written by your good friend Bill Crowder called Reading Hebrews. But uh, really, all five would make a good contribution to your understanding of this letter to the Hebrews that we're focusing on this week. It's another aspect of Our Daily Bread Ministries that can help you engage the scriptures. And so I would encourage you to just type in Hebrews in the search bar when you go to discoveryseries.org. And now let's explore with Sid Buzzle and the Discover the Word group whether or not it's possible that we've misunderstood Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, and what this key verse in the book of Hebrews is saying about the Word of God. 
Let me share a story with you about how verse 12 took on a different meaning for me, and especially in this context. I was pastoring a church, and there were four seminary professors in the church. Wow, that's intimidating. That's scary. (laughs) That's scary. Uh, Bible teachers and a bunch Mm. of seminary students. They're the ones that are really scary. Mm. And And my traditional approach, I, I always preach through books when I was a pastor. Mm -hmm. So I would go away for a a week, literally. I would take the whole week and go away with my books and my commentaries and everything and get the flow of the whole book and outline the whole book so that every passage could be fit into what the writer was doing with the whole book. Well, as I was getting my head and my heart around the book of Hebrews, it occurred to me that the book of Hebrews is about Jesus. And why a believer in Jesus who had come out of the Hebrew tradition, which had also been given by God, should remain faithful to Jesus, even in spite of the persecution, by often their own family. Mm -hmm. So why should I hang in there with Jesus? Mm -hmm. And the major portion of Hebrews is talking about Jesus, not as our Savior, but as our high priest. And this passage says, you can come to Jesus with confidence. Well, if we read verse 12, the logos of God, let me read it again. The logos of God. Now, my text says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. Okay. Well, literally, it says the logos of God. I mean, that's that's, the Greek word. And and it does mean word of God. Okay. Word, logos. But in John 1, 1, he says, in the beginning was the logos. The word. The logos was with God and the logos was God. And then in verse 14, he says, the logos became flesh. The word became flesh. The word Uh became flesh and dwelt among us. So there is precedent for interpreting logos as a reference to Jesus. 1 John 1, 1, Hmm. he does the same thing. You mean mean rather than? That logos being the Bible, logos. And the writer of Hebrews says, God has spoken to us in his son. He says that in Hebrews 1. If I was a Hebrew... If I was of the Jewish community and I saw the word word, I think I would relate that back to the Torah, the teaching, mm-hmm. right? You could. Because didn't they embrace Torah? They embraced the scriptures mm-hmm. as their way of life, mm-hmm. yeah. especially, right? So, but you're saying that maybe this was an idea, this would be an inclination that needs to be corrected when it comes to this text. Yeah. Yeah. Your mind could go to Torah or it could go also back to the beginning of this epistle where he says, God has spoken to us. All right. And the message, the proclamation, God has spoken to us in his son. Okay. Now you started to tell us your story of how you... Yeah. So as I wrestled with this, and so first of all, it's legitimate for the word logos of God to refer to Jesus. John does it in John 1, 1 through 14. John does it again in 1 John 1, he does it in Revelation 19, where he names Jesus, the returning okay. Christ, the victorious Christ, mm-hmm. as the Logos of God. Mm-hmm. So that is a legitimate way to read the but, Logos I mean, you were of God. you processing this while I'm you were studying this. it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So lexically, I mean, definitionally, can the Logos of God refer to Jesus? Answer, yes, unquestionably. John does that. All right. So is that sufficient proof that this is a reference to Jesus? Hebrews 4.12, the Logos of God is alive. Uh, Not by itself, but... You kept digging. You can. So I kept digging. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing that came to me is from the opening verse 
to the closing verse of Hebrews, mm-hmm. the writer is making this pounding, driving argument about why Jesus is a better way to go mm-hmm. even than Judaism. Okay, so it's about Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 1, consider, weigh, think about Jesus, the apostle and high priest. And, and it's just reference after reference. He's been talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Then in chapter 4, verse 13, he is obviously talking about Jesus again. So why did the writer stop and just put one verse about the Bible, mm. and then immediately he goes right back to talking about Jesus? So that what seems problematic you're saying to me. is that we have typically looked at chapter 4, verse 12, as being about the Bible, right. when consistently through the book of Hebrews, you're discovering and you're studying right. in your cabin, looking at the whole context, right. that, yeah. that this is a book about Jesus. And right. so maybe verse 12 is also... About yes. Jesus. Yeah. And, and what resonates with me is I have over the years tried to figure out why the author of Hebrews would describe the Bible almost in a supernatural way, because it says it's, yeah. it's living, it's, it's, right. it's powerful, you know, it, right. it, it separates down into our, the deep thoughts that yes. we have. So I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was another thing that, that I wrestled with is the fact that while in a mystical way it can be true about the Bible— it is literally absolutely true mm-hmm. about Jesus. Mm-hmm. The Logos of God is alive. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's trying to get the reader to understand is that you're dealing in a personal relationship with someone who is alive. And secondly, he's active. Okay, now, did you, you ended up preaching this then? You said I, you went well, away. I, and I, you... I really tried to talk myself out of it. I mentioned before, I had a number of seminary professors in the congregation. One of them had been one of my seminary professors. And it really was not a comfortable thing to get up in front of this group of people and to let them know and what say you what you you've thought about Hebrews four twelve all your life is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's this young pastor mm-hmm. going to teach this. So I really, honestly, tried to talk myself out of this belief. What but you I, thought you were seeing in the text that I thought the text was teaching. What gave me courage to stand up that morning and and I opened the sermon by saying, "What I'm going to talk to you about today, I have tried to talk myself out of all week." Hmm. but I can't. Hmm. And the problem with teaching that the Bible says something it doesn't say is a twofold problem. First of all, we're teaching that the Bible is saying something it doesn't say. Not a good idea. (laughs) Not Not a a good good, idea. But secondly, by default, when we are teaching that the Bible is saying something it doesn't say, we are not teaching that the Bible says something it does say. Mm -hmm. And Hebrews 4.12 says something in this context, in this flow, that is absolutely essential. Beginning in chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't be like our forefathers who couldn't trust God, who didn't enter into what God had prepared for them. Mm -hmm. They refused to enter the land. They spent their whole life wandering in the desert and failed to enter God's rest. And he's saying, now don't you do that. Don't fail to enter into the life that God has prepared for us. And in Hebrews 4.11, he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following our fathers, our Jewish fathers' example of disobedience, for the word of God is alive Hmm. and he's active and sharper than anything you can imagine. He used the image of a double-edged sword because in that time, actually it was a dagger. So this very sharp knife piercing, and and he uses imagery here. 
Now, he doesn't literally call Jesus a sword. He said he's like the sharpest thing you can imagine, a double-edged sword, who pierces even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. What's the difference between soul and spirit? Well, even in the scripture, that's kind of a vague, it's not as clear as we'd like it to be. Joints and marrow, what's he talking? He's saying, let's imagine for a moment. The things that we can't really make clear distinctions between, Jesus is probing in the depths of your life, in the innermost part of your being. He is able to make a difference between these things that we have a difficult time discerning between. How did that go over when you you taught that? Well, uh, interestingly enough, all of those folks came to me after the hmm. service and said, I've never seen it that way before. Mm-hmm. But I agree. I think it's how we have to read that. Because as you continue on in verse 13, let's put those two together. The word of God, what God has spoken to us in his son is alive and he's active mm-hmm. and sharper than anything you can imagine. He penetrates to the deepest recesses of our life. He's able to divide between soul and spirit, between joints and marrow, and he contemplates, he judges the thoughts and attitudes of your heart. And nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. This brings the Word of God to a whole new level, doesn't it? Well, and going back to how we even began this conversation, that we have this great high priest. I mean, the whole book of, of Hebrews, is, as you're helping us understand, Sid, is about that Jesus is superlative. He's better than anything else. So that he is the Word, and his Word is better than the Torah Word, as you pointed out, right. Mart. And here, we're seeing that we have a high priest, which we understand the advocates, but yes. if we pair verses 14 through 16 with 12 to 13, we understand we not only have a high priest, but we have someone who is our counselor and who understands even the struggles we have in our heart before we might act on them. And what a powerful savior and companion and priest we have in Jesus. And in the process, we don't lose the written word. We find the one that the written word is pointing to. may be a new way of thinking about that familiar verse about the Word of God in Hebrews 4.12. But having looked at the entire book of Hebrews with the group and emphasizing what the entire letter is about, that really does make sense, doesn't it? And if you need to press pause and think about that or scroll back and listen to that segment again, go ahead and do that. Because in the rest of the conversation now, Sid will continue to explain what he calls the key passage in the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, that wasn't even the punchline. The punchline is coming in the verses that follow. And so when you're ready, we'll push ahead in this study of Hebrews 4 called Jesus is the Word. I had a counselor tell me that she noticed over time that when a client was telling her something they were deeply ashamed of. You know, she had gotten to this point where they were unloading, that they would look very intently into her eyes. Hmm. And she said it took her some time to figure this out. But what she was sensing was that when these people unloaded their deepest shame, they were looking into her eyes to see how she would respond. 
I'm I'm so surprised Mm -hmm. because I would have thought Mm -hmm. that when you're dealing with something that you're very uncomfortable with, that your eyes would shift away. Or look down. Yeah, look down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or Mm -hmm. away. Mm -hmm. Well, she sensed, she interpreted it as they were looking for her reaction. Uh Going to accept this or going Mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. you know. It's a test. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she felt this enormous responsibility because sometimes she was shocked. (laughs) But if that showed on her face, they would just say, you don't get me. You don't get me. And that's why I believe the progression in this Hebrews 4, 12 through 16 is so crucial. The first thing, verse 12 and 13, Mm -hmm. he said, this high priest, Jesus, knows you better than you know yourself. Let's read that, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Okay, beginning of verse 12, for the word of God, and you're really saying Jesus himself, is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it, he, penetrates he? even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It, he, judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Right. And let me just ask Sid, because it says in our many of our translations, the word of God, and then uses the pronoun it repeatedly. Right. You, you want to switch that to he, from it to he, right. depending on right. what goes before, right. the and subject. And in other passages, yes. like in John 1, where the word was with God and became flesh, we do translate that he. And, yeah, and so obviously yeah. you're seeing that same hermeneutic applied right. here. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we're looking at this this way. What would it be like if yeah. if we read Hebrews 4.12 as the word of God meaning Jesus In himself. the most personal sense. In the most right. personal sense. Yeah. What does that do to us? And then faith? we easily transition into verse Verse 13, mm-hmm. it's tough to transition into verse 13. If verse 12 is about the Bible, mm-hmm. then we have a difficult transition into verse 13. If it's about Jesus, there's a natural flow with the pronouns there, and most translations do make those about Jesus. Okay, he judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart, verse 12. Nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Mm-hmm. And, that, and the pronoun, it's a masculine pronoun, from his sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. And interestingly, in Greek, that comes back to the last word in verse 13 is logos again. Oh, okay. okay. So it ties it together. But here's the imagery. Here's the imagery. And I, and I use this when I teach this in class. I take a pen out and I say, all right, what this is telling us is that Jesus is alive and he's active and he knows everything about you. He even knows your thoughts and intentions. Everything is open and laid bare to his eyes. Mm-hmm. I take my pen out of my pocket. And I say, what if this was a probe? And if I stuck it in your ear, every thought you had for the last 24 hours <laughs> would be broadcast in 3D, living color, surround sound for the whole class to see. Yeah, you just I, emptied the class. Yeah. And there was a young lady sitting in like the second, and I went up and I went like this, and she screamed. No. <laughs> you know, like, well, it's not real. It's okay. But who mm. of us feels comfortable mm. in that setting? And that's why the next mm. statement he says after verse 13, verse 14 says, therefore, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Where naturally you think, well, like Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes, Mm -hmm. if he knows me that well, I need to go hide. But he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest who has been tested in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Mm -hmm. So I say, and, and that's why he can say, 
let us then approach with confidence the throne of grace. So verses 12 and 13 tell us Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Verses 14 and 15 say, and he accepts us better than we accept ourselves. Where, where do we get that, that he accepts us? Well, here's the key point. He's saying the word tempted is better translated tested. Okay. James tells us God cannot be tempted by evil and he doesn't tempt anyone. Mm-hmm. So is there a contradiction here? No, the word means test and tempt, depending on in, the, in, in this context. It says Jesus was tested in everything we are. And I, have a, I really have trouble with this in my heart. I say, you mean, you mean Jesus struggled with some of the stuff I struggle with? Yet without sin. Mm-hmm. And that, that little phrase is crucial. It's huge. it's huge. What do I do when I'm struggling with a temptation? What's the easiest way to get rid of that temptation? To give into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm watching TV. I, I'm on a diet. I don't want to eat sweets. I know that there's an eclair in the refrigerator. Mm-hmm. These food commercials keep coming on and my mind keeps going. The quickest way to get rid of that temptation is to go eat the dummy eclair. I always go back to Hebrews 2 when I look at, at Hebrews 4, unpacking exactly this question that you're asking, Mark. You know, how can he accept us? Where do you see that he accepts us it just because like, he's like us? Yeah, it seems like it almost compounds the problem. It if does. He, if he suffered at all, but he didn't sin, but, he didn't but sin. I do. But in, in, in chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful right. high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. But then verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, right. he's able to help uh, those who are being yes. tempted. I just see this beautiful, yeah. he's like us, but better than us. And it all comes together because in the fact that he didn't sin makes him an acceptable sacrifice exactly yes because he was tested he understands he gets right. it and yeah. then putting it together with the verses that sid is pointing us to today in, in 12 to 13 that he really he doesn't just act on the cross for those sins we commit when we do go to the refrigerator and eat the eclair if right. that's a sin whatever okay <laughs> but he actually understands the motivation of our heart and where our struggle really begins, yes. and he intercedes there. That changes my walk with God. Yes. And no longer do I feel like I have to hide who I am from God. Well, the writer of Hebrews is saying there is not one thing on this earth, a thought mm-hmm. or a motive that you can bring to Jesus that he says, I don't understand that. Mm-hmm. He was made perfect Hebrews says, by the things which he suffered. Nothing is hidden from his sight. So he knows you, but when you come to him, you don't come in fear saying, well, you don't get me. You Mm -hmm. won't understand me. Mm -hmm. He assures us before telling us to come boldly to the throne of grace. He said, not only does he know you, he understands you. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I can know somebody has been on drugs. They've ruined their life, all that kind of stuff. But I can't say I've been there. I understand that. Jesus can say, I was tested with everything you've been tested by. And with my infinite mind, I understand. Come, let's talk about it. I get it. And when we look at Scripture, we see illustration after illustration. I mean, if you want to convince yourself, if you're still doubting, 
I go back to Jesus hanging on the cross. My God, why have you forsaken me? Here's a son of his father experiencing rejection and seemingly abandonment. And you go back and you see him on the cross again. And he says, would you, John, please take care of my mother? Here's a son caring for his mother. And you see him after healing all of these people in the, the Gospel of Mark going out to be alone with the father. You see him tired and you see him in the wilderness being tempted before his ministry began and fighting with the enemy, with Satan. So what I understand, I take this passage from Hebrews and I go and look at the rest of Scripture and let it inform me. I see complete evidence that indeed he was tempted, yet without sin. And he doesn't seem quite so far removed. And then you put this on top of it and I'm even more attracted to be myself in front of him. Yeah, and you have to put it all together, don't you? Because if he simply understood me and was like me and couldn't help me, but if he understands me, Yes. And yet is still able to be my savior. Yeah. And and that little phrase, yet without sin, says that in the severest testing, the severest struggle, he never gave in. Mm-hmm. He never he saw it all the way through to the end. So yeah, I struggle with temptation, but more often than I like to admit, I give up. Jesus never gave up. So he says, yeah, hang in there, stay with it. He will never give you a test that you're not able to endure. And Jesus is the proof of that. But he says, in your struggle, come, I'm alive, I'm active, I'm here to help you. And I understand, I get it, I know you and I understand you. Critical combination. Jesus knows all about us, and still, he invites us to run to him for grace. An encouraging reminder that Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. There's nothing that surprises God. In fact, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And knowing everything he knows, God still invites us to draw close to him. A pretty special conversation that we've pulled out of our Discover the Word archives. And, you know, this series from Hebrews 4 would be an excellent way to share Discover the Word with someone you know. You can introduce your friends or family to the team and make them part of these Bible studies by pointing them to discovertheword.org. Several listening options you have there and a lot of Bible study material, both current and in the archive. All right, well, we will wrap this up after we take 60 seconds to look ahead to what we'll be studying together in our next podcast. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder and Elisa Morgan and Daniel Ryan Day and Rasul Berry will be your study partners for a study called Amazing Moments in the Gospel of Mark. Mark is a very action-oriented gospel, as you know, and one of his favorite words, at least the way it translates into English, is the word amazed. Uh, We're going to find over these two weeks that there are nine times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus says or does something and it says the crowd was amazed Mm. or the individual he was dealing with was amazed at it. Yeah, they had amazing moments with Jesus and you know what? We're still having amazing moments with Jesus today. So don't miss a special two-part episode of the podcast about amazing moments in Mark here on Discover the Word. And now, the conclusion of this study of Hebrews with our friend Sid Buzzell, called Jesus is the Word. Elisa, I think that what Sid has been doing with us this week goes right to the heart of Discover the Word. I think so, Because too. what mm-hmm. we've heard 
it's taken us to the page, mm-hmm. but beyond the page, beyond the written word, to the living Word of God. Yeah, this has been a paradigm-shifting conversation, just helping us understand that Hebrews four twelve is really talking not about the Bible, the written word, but about Jesus, the living word. And, and how that gives the printed word its, its mm-hmm. highest possible meaning. Mm-hmm. As a reference, they're pointing to the living word of God, Jesus right. himself. Exactly. So, right. And I know you've struggled with this what over time, right? Yes. To come to some of these conclusions. Yes. And it's yeah. been good to hear some of your story. The punchline really is in verse 16. Too. I mean, what the writer is trying to do with this is to say, if you abandon Jesus, you're abandoning the best deal you could ever imagine. Because, yes, he saved you. Fantastic. Never minimize that truth. Mm-hmm. But it didn't stop there. He introduced you and invited you into a life where he's there to help you. And verse 16 is where the whole book up to this point has been leading to and laying the foundation for this invitation in verse 16. Should we read this whole section come, and then end yeah, with let's verse do that. 16? Do you want to start, Mark? Why don't we do that? I'll read verse 12, all right? Include verse 11 there. Verse 11, Because he's okay. inviting us into a life. Okay. The author writes, So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fail. For the word of God, and as you've been saying, Sid, that's a reference to the Logos, to Jesus, is alive and powerful. And if we change the it to he is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And then we read, he exposes our innermost Mm -hmm. thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight then. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. And said, you want to emphasize verse 16? Why don't you read that? So, let us confidently approach the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Mm-hmm. So the invitation is come and get the help that you need mm-hmm. when you struggle mm-hmm. because you're coming to someone who not only knows you, but he also accepts you. Mm-hmm. Verses 12 and 13, he knows you. Verses 14 and 15, he accepts you. And if you've ever had someone offer to help you with something and they wanted to do something important for you and you thought to yourself, yeah, but I don't want you to build that cabinet because I've seen your work. <laughs> you know, you don't do very good. But can you imagine somebody doing something really important for you and you say, I'm not sure I trust you. Mm-hmm. So before the writer told us that Jesus is giving us this invitation to come boldly, he started verses earlier saying, look, you can trust this guy. Mm. There's nothing about you he doesn't know. And that might make you shrink back. You may say, you mean, wow, how could he possibly accept me if he knows me like I know me? And then the next statement he said is not only does he know you, but he understands you. So then when the invitation says, now, so come, let him help. He's validated that this counselor, this high priest can help you. He is the very son of God. 
there's a radical shift that happens when we understand in our deepest beings that we have access to a God like this. And if we take this understanding that you're suggesting, Sid, that God sees us, that that Jesus, the Logos, sees us, understands what's going on inside my heart when I've not even admitted it to myself, that, that I'm thinking, well, I don't really have to tell the truth, or well, I can let my mind wander during church because nobody really knows what I'm thinking on the inside. And not in a bad judgmental way that Jesus is going, bad, Elisa. But in a, hey, I'm with you here. Yeah. And I see you here. You can't fool me and don't, don't try to. Let me just be with you here. That changes my entire walk yes. with God. My yeah. entire walk. But what if I hear only what you've just said? And then I come in and I say, you know, Sid, Elisa, this talk of being known, being understood, the motives and everything. Come on. It's frightening no matter how. I mean, if we're talking about being known completely by the one to whom we are going to have to give account, which is what the text says, Yes. how do we avoid the fear? We're talking about an invitation, but how do you avoid the panic that sets in in being known that way? I think most of us in our own nature and perhaps from our own experience would naturally read verse 16 as, come with terror to the throne of judgment to find scolding and <laughs> condemnation. Because mm-hmm. that's, life that's life in many ways. That's yeah. our grid. And that's, that's how we've we have been treated and mm-hmm. often, sadly, how we mm-hmm. treat each other. Mm-hmm. I like your word earlier, Elisa. This is a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. I think this whole passage is a paradigm shift because we're so used to being treated and treating others with judgment and condemnation. So, oh, you did what? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or even worse, you thought what? Yeah, even if we don't say it, the thought's there. Or yeah. even worse, you thought what about me? Mm-hmm. And you think what the writer's been talking about with this entering God's rest, the issue was they didn't believe God. And God said, do you know how offensive that is? You didn't believe all the evidence that I've given you? That's how we think God would respond. And I even think of some of the thoughts I have about Jesus, doubting him, wondering, can this all be true? And Jesus said, even those kind of thoughts, Mm -hmm. I get it. I understand it. So come, let's talk about it. Isn't this the greatest adventure, challenge, slash opportunity of our faith? I mean, to be intimately known is the most, I agree, Mart, risky undertaking we could ever begin. But this is the place to bring that terror and to believe, just as we have always believed, we get to have mercy and lovely stuff here in verse 16. We need to realize that he's already known us. We really don't need to be afraid. What we need to do is own his love for us. Yeah. Yeah. I think isolation is one of life's most desperate feelings. And especially when I'm afraid. Mm Mm-hmm. Our fears get bigger than anything yeah, else, and but we if there's believe somebody them. beside me, and we're in it together, and we're both afraid together, or we're both lost together, or we're mm-hmm. both struggling together, as opposed to going through that by myself. And so no matter where I am, no matter what the struggle, no matter how heavy it is, what this passage is telling us is that you're not alone. He is alive. And the Christian life isn't about a set of rules and regulations. There are, you know, there are commandments, certainly. But it's about a relationship. And if we drain the relationship away, then it just becomes a set of doctrines, a set of beliefs. We live an isolated life trying to be this person that we read in the Bible. I ought to be be holy as I am holy. Mm -hmm. Try that one on for a while. (laughs) 
So yes, the standard is enormously high, but God says, but I never expected you to do this by yourself. Yeah, and he bent so low to help us too. When you think of the cross, the sacrifice, yeah. he bent so low yeah. and endured so much and suffered so much as our sins were piled on him in the, in the darkness of the cross yes. at that hour. So, so we come back to the, the writer of Hebrews, and he's saying, my Jewish brothers and sisters have come to Christ out of a religion that God gave them, and their family has turned against them, and so the Romans are against the Christians, and now their Jewish community has turned against them because they've abandoned. And what a horrible feeling of isolation and loneliness. So he's saying, I want to write something that's going to help these people say, mm. no matter what comes, it's worth it to stay with Jesus. And the most worth it thing about this whole life as a Christian is that I have a personal, intimate relationship with God's Son who is alive and he's active, and he knows these struggles that I have, and he identifies with them because he's had them, and now he invites me to come with confidence, with boldness to his throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in my time of need. I mean, that is so packed. Mm -hmm. It's so packed. And yet how many Christians have taken the time to think about what my life as a Christian is, is described here in such powerful language. And what kind of a fool mm -hmm. would have this relationship available to them and ignore it? Not me. Not me. To me, this is one of the most powerful teachings in all of the scriptures about what it means to live life with God. What a great series of conversations that was. You've been listening to a special classic edition of Discover the Word from about 10 years ago when Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan had a special guest at the table with them, our friend Sid Buzzle. So thankful for the way Sid led us through a really helpful look at this familiar section of the New Testament book of Hebrews. And, you know, this study really has a lot to do with what we mean by the name of our podcast, Discover the Word is about discovering a relationship with Jesus, the living Word, through conversations around the written Word of God, the Scriptures. Now, thanks, Sid, for walking us through this really important study. Jesus is the Word. Now, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the Scriptures challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Now, I mentioned that Sid has pastored a number of churches and taught at a number of Christian universities and seminaries and that he was actually the academic dean of our online Our Daily Bread University for a time. And there are still a number of his courses that he teaches for the university that are available. In fact, they continue to be some of the most popular courses that we have. So I would encourage you to go to ODBU, that's for Our Daily Bread University, odbu.org, and type in Sid Buzzle, B-U-Z-Z-E-L-L, -L, and check out his courses. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.